Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room podcast, brought to you by Aspect Legal. Joining us today for this episode is Sophie Bartho of Brandswell, a company committed to growing brands with authenticity and truth. We have a lot of interesting insights for you today from Sophie's years of experience working with clients and their brands as they go through the merger and acquisition process. So grab a cup of coffee, relax, and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, Sophie. Welcome back. And I say welcome back because we've also been lucky enough to have you on um, the sister podcast of The Deal Room, which is Talking Law, where we were talking about brand strategy as a whole and rebranding for business. So listeners, if you're interested in hearing that episode, then head over to our Talking Law website, which is talkinglaw.com. .au, or you can access it via our law firm website, which is aspectlegal.com.au. And there you're looking for Talking Law episodes 43 and 44. But today we are lucky enough to have you back here to talk about brand and communication strategies. And I was going to call it brand and communication strategies post merger or acquisition, but I, I think you cleverly picked me up on the fact that I was using the word post here. So um, you prefer to describe it as pre, is that right? Absolutely, because often we're brought in after the deal is done and terms of the deal have been signed and sometimes we need to do a little bit of um, retrofitting in terms of brand. Mm, That's very interesting. And so let's maybe um, reverse a bit here and and start right from the beginning. Maybe you can give us a really short background on how you have been involved in the past in this space and what your interaction has been with branding pre-mergers and acquisitions. So we've worked with a lot of clients through you know, combination of mergers and acquisitions, both large and small. One example was the coming together of five different transport companies, five state-based transport companies who came together to form a federated model and present themselves as one national brand. And then that has had multiple sort of further iterations of acquisitions and that's been through constant changes over the last 13 years. We've had other, you know, businesses that have acquired other businesses and what was interesting is we had one where, going back to our conversation around pre and post, where we were brought in after the deal was done, so to speak, and it had been agreed that they would present both brands in the marketplace. However, when we went through the brand strategy process, we realised that it would not be as efficient or as effective for the ultimate game, our recommendation to both boards was that they actually go to market with one brand and retire the other brand. And that was universally adopted, fortunately. They didn't have the resources to invest in and build both brands. And they didn't have the the human resources either to manage it going forward. So, there were, you know, multiple factors that influenced that recommendation. I, I thought it was really interesting when you were talking about, you, you know, 
the egos involved, I, I'm not sure if that was the terminology that you used, but quite often there's a very sensitive environment with the two brands who are coming together. However, that is actually described to the market. Sometimes the reality of what it is behind closed doors is different and that can, you know, there can be a real human element that these organisations are grappling with that can be reflected in brand. Yes, that's absolutely true. At the end of the day, it you know, they're human beings that have built that business and built that brand and when they are being, I'll say, use the term instructed or told that they need to, you know, that brand won't exist and it will be um, superseded by something else, it can be very confronting and, and quite emotional and that's why I think it's very important to go through quite a, a consultative process where you seek their opinions and their input and their perspective and take them on the journey. And then that helps them understand why certain recommendations may be made, such as retiring one brand and letting another brand take its place. Mm. Okay. And then I, this is probably a good point then to wrap back to the, the broader question of what businesses should be thinking about in relation to brand and communication in order to make a merger or acquisition that they're undertaking work most effectively. I think, you know, one of the key questions will be, you know, why is the merger taking place? And then who will be impacted by that merger? And in terms of who will be impacted, how will they feel and how and when will you let them know? Because different stakeholders, you know, will be informed at different times through that the merger process. And it's really important to have a lot of empathy for all those different stakeholders. I think it's for the lawyers who are listening, it's really important to think about everybody that will be impacted by these decisions. And then, you know, considering the impact on the brand and the communications immediately, not after the deal. You know, one of the things we first, uh, you know, do is define all the different stakeholders and then define the different messages that they may need to hear. And they'll need different messages at different times throughout the the merger and or the acquisition. Uh, another critical consideration is confidentiality. We often remind our clients that we can we can talk about confidentiality However, as soon as something is released internally, it is for external consumption as well. Mm. And from everything that you're talking about right now, you know, I can see it makes total sense why organisations should be potentially thinking about having um, an external party come in and look at these sorts of issues. Because I think when an acquisition is taking place, there's so many moving parts that everyone in the organisation, but particularly senior management, are focused on to ensure that the merger or the acquisition happens effectively and smoothly. So, uh, I guess sometimes maybe it takes someone from an external perspective that's tasked particularly with looking at communication and branding to be able to isolate those issues from all of the other moving parts that everyone else is looking particularly at. Yes, and I think the other quality that we bring or, you know, an external party brings is some very rigorous objectivity whilst, you know, it's easy to make assumptions and to say, oh, look, they'll be all right, they'll understand or they'll just have to suck it up. It just won't be as as successful if we, you know, haven't been inclusive and consultative and, as I said, really had some empathy for 
how people are going to feel and what will be the impact on them day to day. It's interesting. I um, I just had a, a podcast interview for the um, episode that is just before this episode that we're talking about with a guy called Dean who's who's at the coalface and he deals with the integration and he cited one of the biggest issues that he saw where where problems had arisen in the actual integration relating to culture emerging the cultures so how does that reflect in brand choices the way brandswell approaches it is that through this stakeholder engagement and it might be one-on-one interviews it might be group workshops it might also be surveys we get a deep understanding of what are the core values and what are the cultures within the organization then where are they complementary or where there might be some you know quite jarring misfit it's interesting if i reflect back on all the years Usually they are complementary, but they need to be slightly redefined and rearticulated under the new brand and as the new organisation. So there needs to be almost a demonstration of, you know, that this is a shift, this is a change. And whilst we have been organisation A and organisation B, we are now organisation XYZ. Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> I will, I, I'm not sure if you've heard of the ADCAR model by Prosecchi. It's something I love and we often refer back to and ADCAR stands for awareness. So awareness around the need for change. Then the next step is desire and that desire to participate and support the change. Then you need knowledge on how to change. Then A for ability to implement the required skills and behaviours to change and then reinforcement so that you can sustain the change and stay on that journey. But I think that ADCAR model is a really beautiful, simple, succinct depth point to reference when you're going through significant change, such as a merger or an acquisition. Mm, okay. And, and is this a process that you take your clients through? It's part of what we, I guess, overlay and wrap around our Branswell methodology Our process is built around defining, you know, and understanding the core values and then the culture, as we just talked about, looking at the benefits of the brand and the organisation and both the rational, so what one gets from the brand, but also how the brand makes people feel. And then we get into the very quite, you know, interesting, challenging end about the proof points. So we look for the evidence and tangible reasons that you can believe those values, believe that culture and believe those benefits. And then we look to define the value proposition and then the brand essence. And the brand essence is where we get into the sort of heart and soul of an organisation and, and why it exists and why do people come to work every day and you know, invest their lives in this organisation. Wow. It sounds very deep. It sounds very deep. I'd I'd never before realised that the development of brand and brand strategy would go so deep. It is. And we've um, we've had clients on occasion say that our work has been like therapy for them. Yeah, (laughs) um, I I can hear it. But I think for us, what we find validating and important is then the longevity of those brands. So we've had brands that we have taken through mergers and acquisitions 13 years ago and they, you know, they, they are still standing the test of time. Mm. Well, there you go. The, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> yes. Let's take a short break. 
When we get back, Sophie takes us through some common mistakes that businesses make in brand strategy. And then on the flip side, we'll also discuss success stories where branding was done well. And finally, we'll close this episode out with some helpful tips for brand and communication pre-transaction. And that's next. This is Joanna Oki, and you've been listening to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Aspect Legal. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. If you're interested in hearing smart legal tips for business, the Deal Room sister podcast, Talking Law, is perfect for you. These two podcasts are now among the top legal podcasts in Australia. In our Talking Law podcast, I dissect a different topic each week that I have seen impact businesses, and I then provide actionable tips for you to avoid that risk or to use that legal area to your advantage. We release new episodes every 10 days. And you can listen to our episodes through www.talkinglaw.com.au or subscribe to our Talking Law podcast on iTunes to be the first to know when a new episode is out. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Earlier, Sophie talked to us about the importance of brand strategy in mergers and acquisitions. She also identified key questions that businesses ought to start thinking about in order to make a merger or acquisition work most effectively. Let's keep the conversation going and dive into the common branding mistakes that businesses make. You know, I'm really interested to hear what mistakes you have seen made along the way, perhaps where people have not appreciated the importance of looking clearly at this area. Because I I think perhaps, you know, from what I've seen, this is certainly not always an area that's given a lot of attention. Yes. No, look, there's lots of mistakes that can be made. I think the first one is um, that lack of empathy that I referred to earlier. So, so really pausing and considering who's involved and what will be the, be the impact on them. I think another very important consideration or possible mistake is not understanding what the investment that's going to be required and the investment in terms of time and money and also talent. You will need to allocate some human resources to make the journey successful. I think honesty is another really important um, factor and an area that you can make mistakes by pretending that it's the reason behind the merger or the acquisition is one thing when it's really another thing. So 
in our sort of process and deep questioning, we often realise that, you know, we've had situations where we've been told it's a merger, it's a merger, it's a merger, and really it's an aggressive acquisition and there is going to be some pain. And it's not until you get to that truth that you can manage the process appropriately. And so what do you think is one of, you know, what do you see as one of the downsides of that approach of, you know, not being completely transparent, I guess, with with the reality of what's happening in an organisation? What I love about working in the brand space is that a brand is all about a relationship and relationships are built on trust. So the moment you challenge or threaten that trust, it can be extraordinarily damaging to the brand. So you'll not only lose the trust and faith of your existing stakeholders, but they then, you know, will talk about your business, talk about your brand and, you know, the classic ripple effect. So you you won't only lose faith with, you know, possibly the people that might be exiting the organisation, but those who are left within the organisation you know, then have that seed of doubt. Mm, mm. And what's a better way then, do you think? I, I think it, it's always about being honest and you need to be respectful of everybody's unique situation. And in being honest, it, it is about crafting messages and carefully delivering them and and the timing of those messages. But you, there is no other way to go about these journeys of change. With You, you have to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Oh, look, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with your philosophies there. But it's interesting because I think the difficulty sometimes for organisations in working out how to communicate that sometimes prevents their honesty. Yes, and and I think that sometimes by being honest, it might be a short-term pain for a long-term gain. So you, you might need to deliver some very hard realities to people, but it you ultimately, you know, you don't leave them second guessing. You give them the resources for them to move forward as opposed to be left wondering and with that seed of doubt. Mm. And sometimes that's also the issue that can be caused by part information, I, I think, as well, you know, where part information creates uncertainty for people without providing them with any sort of guidelines as to what what the end result is going to look like. Yes. We always say if you don't tell them, they'll make it up. Mm. So. <laughs> mm. That's where you need to be in full control of the messaging and the communications at every step point. I have seen some organisations, you know, organisations can deal with this in a range of different ways and, of course, sometimes it depends on the size of the organisation as well. But it seems to me where staff are brought along on the journey a long time before the journey even properly starts is where you often see perhaps the most success in um, alignment where staff feel part of the process. Yes, that's certainly our position and also our methodology it's critical to involve people and we use the expression take them on the journey walk with them and that creates you know alignment you build engagement this is where you start to 
you know, build that rapport and that trust that we've said is so important. Mm. Okay. All right. So we've talked about mistakes then. Um, maybe on the flip side, you could share with us some um, success stories of this done really well. What does that look like? Well, I'll use a few examples that we've got from the last few decades, actually, if I think about it. One is where we brought together um, five state-based courier companies were coming together because they'd recognised that in order to compete with the larger transport providers, they needed to demonstrate a national presence. So five state-based organisations coming together and we rebranded them as Australian National Couriers. Now, that was way back in 2004. And of course, in the last decade plus, a, a lot of the movement of documents um, has changed thanks to the internet and it, this organisation then realised in 2012 that their brand Australian National Couriers needed to evolve yet again because the courier work was diminishing and they were doing more and more bulky goods so they needed to communicate in their brand a very different message. What was interesting is in the stakeholder process we found that the acronym ANC was really solid within the organisation but also with their customers. So we adopted the acronym ANC but we needed to articulate and explain what did ANC stand for. So with the URL ANC Delivers, that became their new brand name and with a positioning statement, your integrated distribution partner. So it was quite a long journey over almost well, one and a half decade now of bringing five organisations together, building one brand and then needing to move it yet again to stay in pace with the marketplace. Mm, that's a really good example. I really, I really like that example. Are there other stories where you have seen turnarounds? Yes, uh, you know, lovely one is um, actually a mushroom grower and they were a family business and they had five different brands within their portfolio. However, because of the different brands, they realised that they were less effective in competing with their major competitor who was the market leader. So by actually coming together as one unified brand, they suddenly had the volume and the size to compete against the market leader and create some you know, significant reputation and make themselves relevant in the marketplace. And that's an interesting story because the family dynamic within the business and as we touched on earlier in the conversation, just the, you know, the, the emotional relationship that individuals will have to their brand, their business, and sometimes to encourage and ask them to move together uh, can be challenging. Mm. I mean, it's really interesting hearing you talk about this example because it sounds like branding helped them to compete um, in the market, which, you know, is an interesting concept. And did that also include an acquisition strategy or was it all around branding? No, that there was also acquisition in that. And I think um, the lovely sort of example in that is sometimes you're actually creating internal competitors so you're competing against 
what should be an ally and by coming together and recognising that we're actually one business with one ambition, you can create a lot more power and efficiencies. That's the other big factor is the efficiencies gained. Mm. You know, some of these examples that you've been talking about sound like larger organisations. Is this only applicable to large organisations or large acquisition transactions? No, look, the same applies for very small organisations and even startups. I think by really clearly defining and understanding the brand before you start investing in your, you know, ongoing marketing and communications is critical. You know, we've got examples of a locally based accounting firm who had national ambitions. They then did go through an acquisition and through that journey we needed to reposition them and in um, acknowledging that we rebranded well we renamed them and rebranded them and 13 years on that brand still is as strong as ever and they have well and truly realized that those national ambitions Mm, that's a great that that's a really great example you know I guess we're talking about potentially a um, a smaller organization then going through an acquisition and realizing to be what they wanted or had the vision to be in the future their brand just wasn't going to work for them so they needed to rebrand to encompass the whole that they wanted to become into the future. Yes and look that's an interesting example where the original brand um, name was the two founders names Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting because you know you get a lot of that in the legal profession and also in the accounting profession Yeah, and it can serve some businesses well But for this organisation who wanted to well and truly grow beyond those two founders, um, it was time to recognise that in their heritage but to adopt a very distinctive new name in the marketplace. And so they adopted this as distinctive new name and, and where are they now? That would be, it would be, you know, it's interesting, I'm sure it must be interesting for you to see the evolution of these organisations from a um, principal named accounting practice, undertaking a few acquisitions, having a vision for the future that is now represented through a new brand and so where are they today, Sophie? Well, they've gone from a, say, a, a mid-size regional um, a mid-sized firm based in regional New South Wales to having offices all the way up and down the eastern seaboard. So significant growth and brand recognition. I think the other thing is the new brand name helped them expand their range of services. So it was also about making sure it held the big vision for them. Mm. And rebranding for that organisation, did you run through the same processes that you have been talking about that you might run through with larger organisations? Yes, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, look, we, I'm doing it with a, a CEO of an organisation at the moment and it's um, he's a one-man band and I'm doing exactly the same, I'll call it the interrogation of deep diving and asking a whole lot of questions around core values and the culture and, you know, what benefits does the brand deliver and what are the proof points and, you know, and then into that deeper area of why does he do this. But we do this exactly the same process for larger organisations. We, we ask the same questions of chairman, board members, staff, and we like to go throughout the organisation and get as many people involved as possible because everyone's experience with the brand is different and 
equally relevant to how we get to know that brand and then how we can define it going forward. Mm, fabulous. Okay. All right. Well, are there any action tips that you have for our listeners in this area in terms of thinking about brand and communication pre rather than post <laughs> transaction? Yeah, we've probably got a few. And the first one is about understanding the stakeholders, both internal and external. And and as we touched on at the beginning, you know, who will be Im- impacted by this merger and or acquisition and put yourself in their shoes and start to think about how they should be approached and communicated to. The other one is to look at the marketplace and, you know, how will um, how might this merger and acquisition be perceived? And another important question is, does it make the business or anyone in the business vulnerable? So looking at both sides of that equation. Another consideration is the focus. So how do you stay focused on the day-to-day business despite, you know, what will be a significant distraction caused by this merger and acquisition? And that's where it's very important to have that mindfulness and allocate the required resources and potentially some external resources as well. I think that's a really good point. And and sometimes uh, also where these transactions involve component of um, an earnout, which sometimes happens. Yes. It's even more imperative to allow, you know, the people who have the focus on the growth, for example, to just be focusing on that and not have to delve into each of these other areas themselves and take their eye off the ball of where they're going. Yes. And look, I've, I've seen businesses where they've spent months working on a merger and or an acquisition and it doesn't actually come to fruition. Yeah. And then they see that downturn in revenue and um, it's fairly evident why that's occurred. Mm-hmm. Because they've been too focused on building for the um, for the sale and taken their um, eye off the... And then, of course, that impacts, you know, into the future if they're, they've lost one transaction there after the next, that now impacts the sale value moving forward. Yeah, no, very, very important. I think, though, on the other side is it's really um, important to look at the opportunity. So how can you leverage the, the full opportunity of this merger and or acquisition? It can create media opportunities, marketing opportunities. It can be an opportunity to retain talent, attract new talent. And as we've talked about, it can be a, a very exciting branding opportunity. Fabulous. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Sophie. You have provided a wealth of information about uh, critical issues, I think, for organisations to think about before they even put in place the transaction, as you say, pre, not post transaction. And how can organisations contact you, Sophie, if, if they'd like a little bit of assistance in going through this process? Look, would love to have conversations with anyone who is curious to know more or might be concerned about the the journey that they're on. I'm available uh, on email sophie at brandswell.com or you can call me on 0411-191-141. Fabulous. And that's very generous for you to um, give people a contact number. That's, I, I must say, it's actually, it's rarely done these days, personal contacts. And I, I think obviously you're walking the talk of your brand in terms of making yourself available for personal communication. And, uh, you know, I, I love that. I love it. Now, if listeners are jogging whilst listening to this, driving along in the car, don't potentially cause an accident by trying to 
get down Sophie's details, head over to our show notes at thedealroompodcast.com where we will link straight through to Sophie so you can catch her um, if you'd like to talk about this area in more detail. Once again, thanks for coming along, Sophie. It's been great to have you on board. My pleasure. I love talking brand. Well, that's it for this episode on branding with Sophie Bartho. I thought perhaps it might be useful here to throw in a short legal wrap-up as well, because in this episode, we talked a lot about branding. And if you're looking at buying a business with a strongly defined brand that will be important to the success of the ongoing business, you really need to carefully deal with ensuring that the brand is adequately protected. And this means doing your due diligence properly and ensuring that you are getting the right records that may be needed in the future to defend or protect your brand. Brand rights. So I say this, obviously you'll engage advisors to help you through the process, but it's ensuring that you've got advisors who understand the elements of risk that sit in this area in relation to branding and IP generally for the business. And it's not just about ensuring that the IP is protected, but it's also about ensuring that the records that you're receiving are appropriate and as may be required for your future ownership of the business. And on the other hand, if you're acquiring a business where you intend to rebrand, be extremely careful of the process that you adopt. We've had so, so many examples in our legal practice, Aspect Legal, of clients engaging in the creative process without engaging legally at the same time, which in the most part ends up with wasting money on creatives for brands that hold ongoing legal risk or that simply can't be protected. And one of the issues is that if you can't protect a brand, then effectively you're saying that you can't really protect the amount of money that you're putting into your marketing spend and your branding spend as you start to get consumer association with the brand that you're adopting. So brand protection is an important way for you to protect that money that you're investing. This is really one place where engaging with legal early will almost definitely save you time and money. Well, look, that's it for this episode. If you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. You'll also find details there of how to contact Sophie Bartho of Brandswell and there you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a large number of great services that help businesses both prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them get ready in advance, transaction ready. And we've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisition process, whether they're buying, whether they're selling, whether they're big or whether they're small. We've got loads of different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book a free appointment if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you have any content that you would like to hear about on the Deal Room podcast or indeed any business owner who bought or sold businesses or any professional involved in the sales or acquisition process that you'd like us to interview, just pop us an email via our website at aspectlegal.com. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki on The Deal Room podcast brought to you by Aspect Legal. 
See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 